Welcome to the Mission Connect podcast, a podcast all about ordinary people doing extraordinary things to fulfill the great commission of Jesus. Our goal is to help you connect with God's mission for your life. So get ready to be inspired, challenged, and move to fulfill your mission. And now here's your host, Finu Ike. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission Connect podcast. My name is Finu Ipe and my desire is that this podcast today will help you connect with God's mission for your life. Friends, today we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is James Kelly from Faith Tech. Uh, James is doing some uh, amazing things at the intersection of faith and technology. He's leading a movement of people, uh, Christians who are in the technology space, uh, finding out, figuring out ways to solve some big problems and to spread the gospel uh, in our nation in Canada. So uh, exciting conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it. But before we get there, uh, Go Conference 2018 is just around the corner. October 26th and 27th, Friday night and Saturday from 9 to 3. It's going to be an incredible conference. This year, we're actually going to be at two locations simultaneously. So we're going to be at uh, Global Kingdom Ministries. GTA East and Faith Gospel Tabernacle in the GTA West, uh, which is in Brampton. And uh, so you can attend either location both days. All speakers will speak live in person. And for those of you that are listeners of this podcast, uh, you get 20% off tickets. All you need to do is enter the promo code Mission Connect. That's Mission Connect. Connect one word, uh, enter that promo code on Eventbrite, and you will get uh, 20% off regular tickets. So goconference.ca, uh, register today. It's going to be uh, a life changing conference this year. So now let's listen to my conversation with James Kelly from Faith Tech. Okay, it's great to have James Kelly from Faith Tech on the Mission Connect podcast. James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Fanu. Thanks for having me. Uh, James, listen, I have talked about your story more times than I can count uh, <laughs> since I've heard it, which was a few months ago. We were at this uh, event together uh, called uh, Transformation Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a Tuesday night in Toronto. And, uh, uh, and basically, you shared your story with us, uh, with uh, a room full of people there. Uh, and just incredible what God is doing uh, in and through your life at the intersection of faith and technology. And so uh, those of you that are listening to this podcast and you have an interest in technology, this is definitely a conversation that you want to pay attention to because I really believe God is doing some unique things uh, with technology uh, to reach our world. And uh, James is at the cutting edge of it. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about, James. But before we get there, I like to usually start our podcast with uh, just asking our guests what their moment was when Mm. they were um, faced with the gospel message um, and when they made a commitment. And I'm not sure if you were raised in a Christian home Mm. or not, but even when, if you are, for those of us that were raised in a Christian home, there was a moment for us when we, you know, sort of got it. The light went on. We said, Mm -hmm. yes, I need to make a commitment. What was that moment for you? Well, actually, before I share that moment, I got to step back. So my my father's story is actually Mm -hmm. extremely instrumental in mine. So my father around my age now, so I'm 31, my father at the age of 29 or 30, um, you had my older siblings and then I was on the way and both my parents were raised in very abusive homes, basically Mm. uh, physically, emotionally. And and our family's on the same trajectory. 
And then through a very dramatic day in my father's life, and that maybe that's another story to tell, but a, a very powerful day, literally my father got to the point where his best friend said to him, he said, you are going down a horrific path and the only solution is Jesus. They talked all day, all night about this Jesus person and at about two in the morning, uh, my father got on his knees and said, I'm in, gave, gave his life to Christ. The wow. complete trajectory of my family shifted that, that moment. That's like talking about a moment, yeah. that moment, my father's like, everything changed. He walked around our house with a Bible nonstop. Um, and then I grew up in this home where I saw forgiveness very raw. I saw, um, I saw a, a father on fire for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think I, I'm very, I feel very blessed to see like a very tangible faith, uh, you know, mistakes made, but forgiveness mm-hmm. uh, happening. Uh, and so for me, I, I saw that as a young child, you know, you know, it's like the Bible stories were really like alive to me, even at the right. age of like six, seven, eight, you know? Right. And wow. So for me, there's this moment where I was 13, again, talking to my father at church, uh, similar circumstance. I'm like, oh, I don't know about all this stuff and gave my life to Christ. I got baptized shortly thereafter. And after I got baptized, I distinctly remember this moment where I got out of the water. I walked to the back of this room where our church was meeting and I go to the back and there's my father. He's obviously just he's bawling, but the guy beside him, it was a guy named Gordy, his best friend, who was the gentleman who led my father to the Lord. Mm. And there it was, like coming to the back of this room and seeing these two men that were both like completely instrumental in our family's lives. Wow. And then and then suddenly they're both just like, you know, they're a wreck because they're yeah. like, oh my gosh, look what just happened. You know, right. now your son is, you know, knows Jesus. And um, and so you know, that, that was a distinct moment I know for me in my life. And, you know, from there, obviously I had lots of different ups and downs through, you know, university ages and pulling away from the Lord for a season. But I think for me, I was so thankful. I was grounded in this uh, home that, you know, passionately pursued Christ because they had felt touched and tasted the former and they knew that wasn't the way they wanted their family to be raised. And so I'm thankful for that. That's incredible. You know, and and when we talk about, um, you know, faith and reaching people, um, I was just thinking as you were sharing that, I I hear a lot of people talking about generational curses, but there's also generational blessings. Mm. And uh, it's incredible that when you reach a person with the gospel Mm. and with the message of Christ's love, you're not just impacting that one individual, you're impacting potentially generations, you know? And so now you have children and then now you're pouring your faith into them. Um, And so your father's, so that one seed that was planted in your father's heart and life Mm -hmm. has produced so much more. And I'm sure not just in the family, but even beyond the family unit, but, but just if you think about the family unit itself, that's Mm. just incredible, you know? Right. And then you stem that back to this moment where, my father's best friend, Gordy, uh, who re- recently passed away and absolutely love this man, had, this, had the courage to ask his best friend 
think about this though. This is this whole, mm. you know, the, the risk we take with, you know, well, they're, they're my friend. Why would I, I don't want to risk the uncomfortability of our friendship. Mm. And, and Gordy, Gordy knew better, right? He knew the legacy that could be left. He knew the impact that could be left. And he, I think for Gordy, he would always say like, the friendship was like po- the possibility of losing my best friend. He was already lost. Right. And it's like, he's already lost. So why, what do I have to lose to just call him out to, to say, this is your time come to know Jesus because everything can change. Right. And it did. Right. So to me, Gordy's story is just as powerful in my father's story and our story in that whole story, because it just tells me, man, that's the value. Like I've tasted the value of being courageous for the gospel. And I think what you said there, um, that he believed that everything could change. And, and maybe, James, sometimes that's why we're not innovative enough and creative enough and passionate enough because I think sometimes, uh, and maybe it's be- partly because of television and just uh, media and how the gospel is communicated, it comes across like sort of like a counseling session or a leadership session or, uh, you know, here's some good principles as opposed to, you can become a new creation. Like you can literally have your entire life and the trajectory of your life mm-hmm. radically transformed if you were to uh, receive the message of the gospel and follow Christ. And I think sometimes we miss that because we don't really believe that fully. You know, I'm not saying you don't or I don't, but I, I just think in culture in general, Christian culture in general, we're guilty of not truly believing that. In fact, there was a survey that was done recently uh, through Ambrose University, and I forget the exact percentage, but there was a certain percentage of the church that uh, said they didn't believe that Jesus was the only way. You know, they, they, they were okay with Jesus being a way, but not necessarily that he was the only way. And so in, in other words, that that exclusivity of Christ and that supernatural element of what Christ does when he comes into the life of a person, um, sometimes we lose that. And, and when we lose it, guess what happens? I think that's directly proportional to our passion um, and our desire to see people come to faith in Christ. Because if he's just a way and not the way, why would you lose your best friend over that? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and even if you were to communicate, you wouldn't be it wouldn't be like a line in the sand. It would be like, hey, you know, just so you know, there's an option here. This is one way you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and again, I think when you're not fully passionate, there's a quote, I'm going to mess it up. Um, innovation is the something of necessity, right? That this idea that when you, it, like people get creative and invent things when they don't have other options, especially people that are financially strapped and they can't just go buy it. They come up with ingenious ways of doing things because that's the only option and they get creative, right? So when you feel like sharing the gospel is a necessity, like, I mean, there's just no other option. And you realize you're in a culture that maybe has changed in the last 50 years and is not willing to accept the information about the gospel the same way that people did way back in the day. I mean, go back to the, I don't know, the Billy Graham Crusades or something, you know, like it's, people don't do that anymore. They don't fill the sky dome and say, yeah, I just want to hear this guy's talk. I mean, and I'm not suggesting that can never happen again. I'm just saying, I just don't see it as much. So my point is there may be other ways to do it, creative ways to do it, but 
you wouldn't even come up with that innovation or creativity if it wasn't a necessity, if it wasn't like, I've just got to find a way to communicate. Yeah. And, and so and the way faith tech started came out of this phrase in the midst of devastation, there's an opportunity for innovation. Hmm. Like that's how this like all that. started for me. And wow. I was at this conference, I heard this phrase and, you know, my, my wife and I helped plant the church uh, six years ago with you know, roughly 20 adults. And we, uh, we all moved to three neighborhoods in our city. So I, I live in Kitchener, okay. uh, just west of Toronto. And, you know, my wife and I went around asking cab drivers where we don't like to go in the city. And, you know, we found this one neighborhood that a lot of people were trying to get out of. And for us, we were just, the Lord had us, our, our hearts in the, I, I think, uh, at, a, at a place where we were ready for that, that step. Wow. And, and so we've lived there to this day, but uh, I think for us, I heard this phrase and I just thought, well, what, uh, okay, I get the devastation. Like all of our neighbors are trying to get out of just, you know, crazy stuff, you know, friends of ours, you know, prostituting their bodies. And, uh, you know, we've had murders in our neighborhood, suicides, the crazy stuff. And, and then I'm like, well, what is the, what is the opportunity in this for innovation? You know, <laughs> that makes no sense to me. And for the whole turning point was I started meeting all these tech people in our city. Cause I was like, Oh, there's, Waterloo, second highest startup density in the world, unbelievable, you know, uh, tech city. I'm going to meet all these tech people and get their opinion on, on this phrase. Mm. I started meeting all these tech people and I heard this phrase over and over again from them, which was, uh, I don't know my place in the church. Mm. I was thinking, what does that mean? You know, I don't know my place in the church. And one guy goes, I don't know my place in the church. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, tech guy, he goes, I, I don't want to do, don't make me preach. You know, he's, right, he right. said the phrase, I'd rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. <laughs> now that's wow. a serious issue. Yeah, that's a serious so he'd rather be dead than talking about the person that's dead. Right. So I was like, okay, that's an, that's a, that's a serious issue. And then he goes, and I don't play acoustic guitar. <laughs> So he's like, what do I do? What do I do in the church? Right. And I said, what do you do now? He goes, well, I run PowerPoint. I said, okay, well, what's your, what's your profession? He goes, well, I help start Blackberry. Oh, oh, okay. This guy literally is one of the core inventors of uh, text messaging. I was like, sorry, you do what with the, with the church? He's like, oh, I set up chairs and run PowerPoint. And so for me, I'm like, Hey, we need those jobs. But I'm like, can we, can we get this guy doing something else? Like, could he build, like, I remember saying, oh, could you build some sort of, you know, global platform, you know, mm-hmm. that unites all the missionaries around the world to share their resources? You know, the right. grandest thing I could possibly think of. Up, yeah. And I distinctly remember this, this gentleman. He looks up, we're at a coffee shop, and he looks up in the sky for like a minute and a half which is a long time at a, at, for coffee. So, so I'm looking up too. And I'm like, I don't know what this guy <laughs> looking, at. looking at. And then he goes, he just looks down at me. He goes, yeah, I could build that. So he was I, processing that. that. Oh, oh I think he idea. built it. I think he built the whole thing in the sky. <laughs> right? He's a genius. I don't know what's going on up there. Wow. You know, I'm just looking at rafters. He's looking up at a program in the, you know, right. forming in the sky. And then, um, he goes, I can, I can build that. I go, well, why haven't you? 
And he goes, no one ever told me that's a way I could use my gifts for the kingdom. He always just thought I work and then I come to church and that my job at church is these, these various tasks that, I, that, that are far you know, different than what I could be helping the kingdom. And so that was just a spark for me, conversations like this over and over, this tech community, this incredibly brilliant, innovative, creative, problem-solving community that just has not been utilized by, by the church or the global church. And, and then simultaneously in this season, so this is all about three years ago for me now, mm-hmm. um, I met a number of charity leaders who were also struggling with technology. How do we use it? How do we think about it? A lot of pastors talking about digital addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. They're telling me all the problems their organizations are having and their neighborhoods are having. And I, I just got to this point where I was like, these two teams should be like on the same team. That's like, why aren't they, why aren't they wearing the same Jersey here? Mm-hmm. Like they should be, they should be working together. Yeah. And so, uh, just about three years ago, uh, I, I emailed a whole bunch of those people I'd met with. I said, hey, does anyone want to meet at a coffee shop? I think you guys should chat. And we had 35 people at a coffee shop. Half the room were tech, half the room were ministry folks. And I just, it was electrifying. I just thought they were going to start like 10 companies on the spot, you know, and just unbelievable. Because suddenly the people with all the problems were able to put them on the table. And the people with these great problem-solving minds, thinking abilities, knowledge, they were able to just give their thoughts, their ideas. And then there's a few business people scattered that were like, what do you need to make this happen? What resources? And, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's what started faith tech. And it's funny because, you know, our, what we started with was just this, the one thing I've learned from the tech community is most people don't innovate because they're fearful. It's the same reason we don't evangelize. It's because we're fearful. We're fearful of doing something wrong. We're fearful of losing what we have. Mm. And we're, fear, we're fearful because we get comfortable. Right. right. One of the most common phrases right now I'm trying to teach charities in particular is self-destruction. If you can't self-disrupt your organization right now because technology is doing it, yeah. the 12-year-old kid in his parents' basement probably going to replace your organization in five years. But to me, it's actually the same analogy we have to look at from an evangelistic point of view, from sharing the gospel, because I think especially in Southern Ontario, Canada, it's like most of us are insanely comfortable. Yeah. I think the only way we get to this point where we're ready to take the risk for the gospel that has that legacy impact on people's lives is actually do a little bit of self-disrupting and saying, what is happening in my life, in my heart right now that's keeping me back from actually taking the risk for the gospel? And that might be an addiction. That might be not in the word. That might be just a, a, a grounded fear in not being liked and not being wanted and, and having friends to disown you and disband you. And I think if, if we live in that fear, we are not in alignment with God. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not in alignment with God. Like I don't even have to quote all the verses biblically where Jesus is just like, don't live in fear, man. 
don't live in fear, man, because I didn't come for that. I didn't come for you to live in fear. I came for you to be freed from that. What have you seen that you would say is the fear in the church space Mm. uh, in collaborating with tech and innovation? Because I'm sure there's fears on that side as well. Um, Mm. As far as bringing that guy in from BlackBerry to create something new or to innovate, Mm. to get them to, or to get even, you know, leaders in the marketplace, business or tech to come in and look at the way we do church and really Mm. critique us and not, not to, not to destroy us, but to help us build something that's going to really uh, reach more people uh, Mm. for the gospel or with the gospel. So what, 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 what have you heard from, you know, church leaders, pastors and the like that work in the church space? My most blunt answer is that pastors and ministry leaders are fearful that if they change something, their donors will leave. So I'm putting it as blunt as I possibly can. There's this fear of like, we have this donor base, this, our congregants that are coming, our, our ministry, people that are donating to us. If we do something different, they might not like it and their money's going to go elsewhere. Wow. And why it's so difficult though, like I'm not going to come down on all those leaders because I, I think, you know, I can understand that, ten- that tension. But why it's so difficult too though is like the donors themselves <laughs> are like, I need a tangible, like if, if you don't, if you fail, then my money is being wasted. Right. And then therefore the donors themselves and their very posture towards these organizations aren't speaking up and saying, take a risk. I, I donate $10,000, but you know, I, I'm okay if this year you try some things that no one else is doing because it, that's part of learning. That's part of this organization's growth. And so I actually think it needs to be happening on both ends. Um, you know, it's in the, the, the crappy answer is it come out, comes down to the dollars like that. I'm even mentioning donors, but it's scary how fundamental that is for pastors, how that fundamental that is for charity leaders. And uh, I, I'm trying to speak to both sides being like yeah. donors. If you got five grand right now and you love a particular organization, go to them and say, I want to give you five grand that, might get thrown down the drain this year in terms of the way the world or your organization might think that. But I want you to try something that no one else is doing to try to reach people. No one else is reaching with this $5,000, $10,000. And what you've just done is you have just released an organization to take a risk, to take, to do something different. And so on that donor side, and then from the leader side to just be like, understand like this is something the tech community does very 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 well which is they understand that it takes 10 failures to get one really good success so they will relentlessly try things that they know will fail they'll be relentless in learning from that failure and and then iterate on it again and try again and try again Mm -hmm. and this is why the tech community is moving so quickly so fast is that that's part of the dna where the almost the opposite the opposite yeah. is true in the church and in, in, in the chair in the charity sector and that's what that's the uphill battle we we have right now yeah i think well said and and it's interesting i've heard the exact same uh points made in the church space but what i also find um interesting about it is that the people that are the next generation donors of that church 
are actually holding back from giving because they don't see innovation. They don't see the church reaching people. So part of my conversation when I talk to pastors about this is to say, yes, you're right. You know, such and such a donor who say 55 years old is giving you 15,000 a year and they may not be fully excited about this direction that you're going to go. But think about the life cycle of that donor and how long are they going to continue at your church and how how many more dollars, say another 10 years before they retire. So that's 150,000. But this 25 year old who's just got incredible promotion at work, he is super uh, geared towards having an incredible career and making a lot of money and is, loves your church and is going to be in your church. They're not giving. And they've got a 40 year cycle, life cycle of what they're potentially right. going to give. And you're missing out on that. Because you're not innovating and you're not reaching people and you're not thinking what makes sense for them to reach their friends. Because if you aren't reaching their generation, they feel like the church has become sorry, irrelevant. And the moment that they feel the church has become irrelevant, they're not going to put their dollars towards that. So there's that other side as well of if you're going to inspire a new generation to give, then you've got to do something that's going to speak to them and to their friends. And that, and all of this discussion is rooted in the fear of um, not being liked, the fear of um, not being, you know, pleasing others. And I think that, again, that comes back to what is truth typically hurts, you know, and I think that's where we've just got to get to this point as the, the global church right now and the church in North America in particular, we're just like, we can't let culture dictate. We can't be so fearful of what you know media might say or what others might say about us or, or taking a risk and trying something new because, uh, because much of culture is taking that risk and and trying those new things. And we're just kind of getting uh, left in the dust. So talk to us, James, about faith tech. Where are you right now? Three years on since that initial coffee conversation uh, and getting leaders together, what sort of, what has it become and um, how do you see faith tech making an impact in this intersection of faith and technology? Yeah, so uh, right after that gathering in Waterloo, we had a few more. Uh, realized this was something I, I again, I, I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. Like I, I'm in this room and I'm looking around, like going, oh, "This is kind of neat." Like, uh, let me let me awesome. ask you. Let me uh, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I just want to ask: Do you have tech? Like, are you a tech person? Like, do you is your career, education, all that from a tech? I, I invented uh, Google. <laughs> and so uh it's pretty good <laughs> yeah that's right. actually no i don't so my background is i have a business degree i have an mdiv uh, okay i did seven years as a recruiting consultant uh okay. working in business and then all this happened so i can't i can't write a lick of code um but i actually think it's really benefited uh faith tech because Right from the start, if I wanted anything to happen, I couldn't do it. So I had to find somebody that can you build this? Can we create this? And I think uh, I think that's actually really helpful because mm. if you can do everything, then the likelihood that you find others that are better than you, um, you know, is probably is a lot lower. So I was really thankful that I didn't know a lot. And uh, yeah, so that yeah, my background's not that, but. 
Yeah. So today, yeah. So I quit my job October, 2016. I noticed that a network like fake tech didn't exist in most other cities around the world. Interestingly enough. And I said to my wife, I had just bought a house. My son was just born. And I said, I think I have to quit my job. Wow. <laughs> my nice that steady, conversation went. Yeah. Well, my wife's fantastic. And she obviously we said, okay, well, let's think through critically how we make this happen for our family. But awesome. at the same time, you say, when the Lord presents you with something that's burning on your heart, you know, you be wise with your family. So again, I made a plan of like, how, how can I financially, you know, take care of my family? But at the same time, you say, you know, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like in two months or three months or four months, but I think we have to do this. And so, uh, yeah, I went full-time. 2017, we launched our network in Toronto, Vancouver. This year, in 2018, our network uh, now exists in Chicago and Silicon Valley. Um, wow. So our network's now close to 3,000 people. And, um, you know, the Lord's just done some amazing things. I, I recently hired someone full-time to work with me. And... Um, you know, trying to figure out how that's going to work. You're talking about finances. You're like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, like it was one of those moments where you're like, all right, Lord, I, I have to bring this gentleman on. He's so much smarter than me. He's such a great guy willing to take a huge risk wow. with his expertise. And, and so, yeah, we're at this point now. We're just actually really defining what faith tech is. And that sounds maybe really strange through like two, two years, three years in, Mm -hmm. but I think so much of it has just grown from, you know, the Lord giving me different relationships and me doing certain things. And now it's at this point where it's like, we've got a list of 12 other cities. I want to start faith tech around the world. And you kind of go, how does, how do you grow this? But you know, I, I can't, you know, I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. So we're actually just working on rewriting like our, our mission and vision saying we just you know started defining it the other day a lot more clear so essentially we, we've kind of like to, to land on like we exist now faith tech exists to help the tech community change our world for jesus that's it simple Amazing. our vision our calling our ministry is to the tech community i, I truly believe the tech community, the tech industry is the fast growing industry in the world. Most people aren't leaving it. Everyone's going into it mm-hmm. and it's predominantly secular, very few Christians, but they're the most influential individuals in the world. The top five companies of the world are all tech companies mm-hmm. started by the average age of 20 or 21 these tech leaders. It's crazy. So, you know, I look at the tech industry. It's funny now, my whole vision of leadership has shifted now because I get into a room and I don't look to the middle aged man in the room with gray hair, which is, I think we all think, Oh, that's Mm -hmm. probably the leader. It's like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm looking for the super awkward person in the corner that no one's talking to because they're probably building something in their basement. That's going to (laughs) influence everyone in that room more than anyone else (laughs) that's incredible and so yeah the lord's just kind of taking us on this journey now of uh, really saying how do we see a day like i think for me i look ahead and i say how do we see a day where we can turn the tide and the global church can actually be at the forefront of technology education technology innovation building for the kingdom of god like we're behind like 15 20 years right now and i actually can, can see a day to me it's like got a lot of work to do to catch up but then i actually think 
we can look ahead, like think of the, the printing press with Gutenberg. And it's like, you have all these actually beautiful historical moments in the church where it's like, we actually took brand new innovation or we're part of inventing it to advance the kingdom of God. And we're in this season now culturally, globally, where, you know, because so many things that we used to do were taken away from us in terms of healthcare, in terms of education, the church has just kind of stepped back and said, okay, we're, all we do now is just kind of one, one thing or two things. And, and we don't really have much of an impact on society anymore. And we don't really have a place. What are we? It's like, we've lost our identity. And I think, um, I think we actually, we can turn the tide and be leaders in, in where the future goes, be the prophets of culture again. Oh, I love that. The prophets of culture. That's powerful. Um, give us some, um, Give us some nuts and bolts. Give us some things that you've done recently or your team or your, you know, the network has come up with. I know at that event that I was at, you were talking about some, you know, um, some websites you created and based on Google search uh, results or search searches that were being done in Canada at that point, I think. It was. Oh, that one's crazy. Yeah. Just give us some, some you know. Well, I'll tell you that story. Too. Yeah. That's crazy. We had found out that, this is about two years ago now, we found out that 8,000 people a month in Canada searched the phrase, how to kill yourself in Google every month. 8,000 every month. At the time, the top search result was seven easy, painless ways to kill yourself. Mm. Like just garbage. Actually, I just read an article. Uh, a lady in Alaska killed her two kids, a 10-month-old and a two-year-old. And when the police came like they suffocated and the police were trying to investigate. They looked on her computer and that night she had searched online how to murder someone and not get caught. And the results were what she did to her children. So I look at that story and I think this is real. This is real because it has to do with where we take our problems now. We go digital, right? Google is the new God. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is where we put our, our, our time, our energy, our thoughts, our, our, our questions, our hurts. We go digital. And so we looked at that and we said, well, we, well, we got to do something. Someone's like, someone's got to do something, you know? And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I, I stand before this whole community of just really amazing tech people. And I say, here's the information. Who can do something? So this is remarkable. This we did we did what's called a hackathon, right? In a very short period of time, you solve massive problems, and for us, they're all kingdom-related problems. Uh, supporting a marginalized local church or sharing the gospel, and in this case, two web developers, communications manager, and a psychotherapist give up their whole weekend. They buy the domain howtokillyourself.org, but instead of seven easy painless ways, you go on their site. It has three words. You're not alone. Video to watch, information, phone number to call, like unbelievable. And then a year after they built the site, their team wasn't feeling good. They're like, how is this working? This is crazy. One of the developers on the team calls me and she goes, we need to chat. I'm thinking, you know, what's, what's going on? And she goes, this is her telling a story. She goes, last night I was out for coffee with my friend and I started telling my friend about the website I'm building. She's describing the colors, the fonts and everything. And the friend just stops her and she goes, what is the domain of that website? And she says, how to kill herself.org. And she started crying the night before 
this developer's friend went online to figure out how to kill herself. And she said, I landed on that website. And last night that site saved my life. And the very next day she's out for coffee with the friend who built the website. So now when people come to me and they're like, technology is destroying the earth. I say, yes, partially we need to talk about that, but let's not forget you know, that we can use something that can be done for horrible things and redeem it for incredible things. Like you even look at the cross, Jesus Christ, he took this horrific tool of torture, right? And the cross, and he he redeems it, right? He comes new life. And to me, it's like technology can be seen as so evil. And I think we actually need to address that. So we talk about things like digital addiction and digital overuse and all the... And, but we, we see it as a, a, a culture that we need to enter into that space as Christians and try to redeem it rather than just refuse it completely. And so for us, it's like that's one example. We're currently working on uh, about 10 to 12 projects across Canada similar to that. And then this fall, we're doing hackathons in Chicago and Silicon Valley and Toronto and Waterloo all coming up. Um and we're hoping to see you know, stories like that multiplied out um, by you know, our, our hope is that we're seeing about 18 to 20 projects ongoing. So these are like ongoing with teams, with structure, with leadership um, that are all volunteers using their incredible talents, uh, putting them towards the kingdom of God directly through efforts like this. And so this is uh, one of the elements of faith tech um, from an innovation side. And then we also have the education side of trying to educate the the church charities, one another Mm -hmm. uh, on just general technology, good and bad. James, this is, um, I mean, frankly, for me, completely disconnected from the tech space um, other than, you know, being on Facebook or Instagram or, Running a podcast, you know, mind blowing, just mind blowing that we can do that kind of research, understand what people are doing and then create innovative solutions to try to speak to them uh, on the very same platforms to give them an alternate option and a gospel option, you know, a Jesus option. Um, uh, we're out of time and I, I want to honor your time as well. And I want to wrap up, but one of the things I think uh, we face in the church space is that we have um, worshipped uh, Friends, you really want to take the time the to church, come out and listen like to the pastor, 18, the speaker. Uh, speak at GoConference 2018. The if you haven't already reserved um, your tickets and you're listening to this before the 26th and 27th of October, um, the then you leader. still have time um, to get your you know, tickets. GoConference.ca. Reserve your tickets today and I hope to see you at the conference. Friends, I'm always, always thrilled to hear from those of you that listen to this podcast. Would you send us an email? Let us know how this podcast is making a difference in your life. All you need to do is send us an email. God, to that's info awesome. at passion to reach.com. That's info also this other area of the Also, please make sure to subscribe is on iTunes and, and on Google Play so that you get that these podcasts delivered to you microphone, uh, every time uh, we release a new episode. Get, uh, so thanks again. Appreciate you all. Even, God bless you. Check out our website, passion to reach.com. Yeah, Have a great day. Lives of people. I want you to just maybe take a minute each to speak to two groups of people. One, speak to a pastor that's listening to this podcast and would you just talk to him or her and say, why do you believe that they need to invest um, in the lives of people that may not be doing some of these roles within the church? And again, I'm not minimizing those roles, but why would they need to invest and support 
and encourage uh, the individuals in the church that are in the space to innovate, to self-disrupt, to create that within the church. And, and the second group is speak to that 20-something awkward kid who sits in the corner of the room. How would you encourage him or her to say, listen, you may not fit in the traditional mold of what the church thinks is an important function, but God has a mission for you in the area that you're called to. And in this case, we're talking technology. So would you just do that for us? Well, I think you just answered the second one because I'd probably just say a lot of those same things like you have a unique ability and unique calling that, um, that God will use, you know? And I think, um, I think the, the, the church looks different moving forward. I think technology, the internet, um, has shifted and and changed how how this is going to look. Um, that, that's not a bad thing. I think this is what we have to come to understand. It's not a bad thing. Things have shifted. Technology has shifted things. Think of the Pax Romana. Like when Jesus came, the apostles were able to spread the gospel completely differently because there was peace in Rome, shared language, shared roads, like everything was different. And that's a, it's a good thing. And so to that, to that young man or woman, I would say, you know, see, seize the opportunity that's right in front of you. Um, to use those gifts and abilities um, for the kingdom of God. Um, and then to the pastor, and I'd say, first I would say create a new budget line, which is called technology missionary work, um, because all of this won't really fit into a whole lot of the current structures you have. And then see who in your church you have before you. That One of the primary responsibilities of a pastor to find out, recognize and empower the gifts and abilities of the people of their sheep that they've been called to and empower them to put that towards the gospel and understand how that views it inside the gospel. And so um, look around you and see who you have and then call them to something greater, something that even beyond them that they didn't even think was possible or imaginable. Um, and then I would say even maybe thirdly to a pastor is to say, self-disrupt. I have a great mentor who says this to me. I'll finish, maybe finish with this as he says, every two years I sit down with my leadership team and I say, if we start this organization brand new from the start, what would we create that would put this current organization out of business? That's our goal for the afternoon is to create something that puts us out of business. What would you create? Where would you start? Who would you talk to? And it's just an incredible exercise in self-disruption. Most pastors, leaders, ministry leaders aren't probably willing even to do that afternoon. Right. Um, but the, for the few that are willing to, to actually take risk step number one, um, you know, self-disruption is a very good thing, both personally <laughs> right. and, uh, and organizationally. And technology is demanding that we do that right now. That's awesome. James, thank you so much for sharing your story, your insight, your wisdom. And um, we're just so excited for what God has in store for Faith Tech. Uh, if uh, those who are listening to this podcast want to get in touch with you, just follow your journey um, as you continue to innovate and branch out and uh, do more to impact uh, the world uh, with the gospel. How would, how would they get in touch with you? Would, with the head to faithtech.com. 
That's definitely your best bet. Um, there's a way to even put your email in inside of there. Anyone listening to this that even wants to personally connect, um, you know, and has, has some questions like uh, David and I, who works with me now, like we would we'd be able to chat. So just email me at james at faithtech.com. Uh, that's probably the most direct possible way I can think of. And obviously we're, um, you know, trying to share things through social media and we've got video series we're doing right now, stuff like that. But, just email us is step one. That's let's uh, go from there. Awesome. So pastors, if you're listening to this and uh, you're talking about 2019 and you have questions about technology and how that fits in with your vision for the next couple of years, uh, james at faithtech.com is the email to use to get in touch with James and, uh, and ask the questions you have. And I'm sure James would be uh, thrilled to hear from you and to connect and help your church. So uh, thank you, James. Appreciate you so much and God bless you. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Mission Connect podcast. Join us next time for more insights on how you can live out God's mission for your life.